0: If you're a guest, you're coming in on the uh, last week of a series that we've been doing throughout the month of October and now beginning in the uh, first week of November called Deadly Deceptions. And what we're talking about is Jesus' prophecy to his disciples that was recorded in Matthew 24 of the last days. Jesus said when the last days come, right before Jesus returns in his second coming, that our life in this world was going to be characterized by a great Deal of false teachers and and a lot of false religions growing, in, in, in other words, we're going to be saturated. In fact, he says so persuasive are some of these false teachers and these false religions are, are going to be that even the elect of God, people like you and me, would be fooled by them. Would be taken in if God didn't intervene for us. Peter, one of the original twelve disciples, in one of his New Testament letters that was circulated among the early church, declared in Second uh, Peter two one that. These false teachers and these false religious systems will secretly introduce heresies into the culture, into the church. The most deadly of the deceptions we learned during the series would come from within the church. He said, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, they'll even attack God, they'll even attack Jesus Christ. Therefore, John, yet another one of the original disciples, warns us in one of his New Testament letters He warns us in 1 John 4, 1, that, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God, because we know many false teachers have entered into the world. And so that's what we're going to do in a very, very uh, practical way today. Now, what are we tested against? Well, in the second week of our series, we tested against what the Bible reveals to us is genuine Christianity. What is real Christianity? And we discovered that there were these five things, that Christ is the Christ. Jesus said, many are gonna come after me saying, I'm the Christ. And we even saw some video examples of people in our day who are claiming to be the Christ. But Jesus was the only Christ, there was one. That he's the only son of God. That he came in the flesh, and that he physically died and physically was resurrected, and that he is the only mediator between God and man. The other ways, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Jesus is the only way to forgiveness of sin. Jesus said it himself in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, testing these spirits is like peeling back the layers of an onion. Again, we're going to get real practical today. In everything that we've learned, we're going to kind of bring it to a conclusion. But understand that really testing the spirits is not as easy as it might seem. Because many of these false teachers and these false movements will come, and if they sat down with you, one of their ambassadors or one of their teachers sat down with you, I guarantee you that if you're not grounded in God's Word, and you don't really understand what the real thing is, I'll tell you, in five minutes... They'll have you believing that you and they believe exactly the same thing. And you'll say, well, my goodness, we really are one. You believe exactly what I believe. You believe exactly, we're we're just one faith. And so you'll believe that their faith is the same as your faith. Their church is the same as your church. And that's why so many believers, people like you and me, are sucked up into these movements. And don't think that you can't be sucked up. Dave Mitchell's here, and he's got a ministry uh, that reaches out to people in the, some of the organizations we're going to look at today. And he says, you know who are the most ripe fields for these groups? Baptist churches, Bible churches, evangelical churches. That's who are they're going out and winning over. Now, today we're going to talk about counterfeit Christian movements. I'm going to name two because I want you to see why you need to peel back the layers of the onion, why you cannot just at face value say, well, what? We believe the same thing. Now, I'm going to get very intentional today, but here's what I want you to understand. Now, listen to me carefully. I am not attacking people who embrace these movements. That's not what this is about. Because I'll tell you what, I know people in in both the movements I'm going to talk about today that we're going to use to illustrate uh, these counterfeit Christian movements, and they're wonderful people. They're upright. They're God-fearing people. But they have been brought into a false religious system. And so what we're going to expose today is the doctrine of the system, understanding that many of the people who practice it are wonderful people, people we'd love to be our friends, people we'd love to go on vacation with, have over for dinner. And I have many friends who are in these, these movements. So what we're going to be talking about today is doctrine. Why, what the church, what the movement teaches is not genuine Christianity. And you'll see why you need to pull back and peel back the layers of the onion. Are right, you ready to go? Now everyone understand we're not attacking people. Everyone got that? All right, here we go. The most influential, the fastest growing of what I am identifying as counterfeit Christian movements today in the world is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, We know more uh, commonly them as the Mormon Church. Again, wonderful people. I know Mormon people. My wife and I periodically go out to dinner with some of their families. Wonderful people. But we're talking about the doctrine. They're a very fast-moving organization around the world. 15 million members, 29,000 congregations, 141 temples. They're building one here in our area, right off I-75. If you you would go north, uh, right around the Griffin area, you'd see off to the east side. There's a church going up there. That's a Mormon temple. Uh, 58,000 missionaries uh, always out there reaching and spreading the doctrine of Mormonism. It started with a young man named Joseph Smith in 1823 when he claims he was visited by an angelic being, and and in some accounts it was Jesus Christ. And basically, this being told him not to buy into any of the Christian churches that were on earth at that time, because they all had become corrupt. They were all bad. And so now, God was going to reveal to Joseph Smith the true church. And he's going to reveal through a book of Mormon. And Mormon was was a prophet of old in, in the Americas, and basically, the story, and I've got to really be quick today, I, I can't prolong this. Basically, there was a prophet who was the last prophet to write in this Book of Mormon. His name was Moroni, Moroni. Now, this prophet was entrusted by God, allegedly, to take this additional revelation, this new revelation that God had given to mankind, to record it and to protect it. It was, it was originally written on uh, tablets of gold, and he buried it in, in western New York, and then ultimately he was to bring it at the right time and introduce it to the world again in the latter times when God and Christ was trying to restore the church, hence the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, Joseph Smith was the chosen vessel by God to take ultimately these tablets and translate them into the English language, which is the Book of Mormon as we know it today. Now, the Book of Mormon, according to the Mormon Church, is just as holy... If not more holy than the Bible that you read. And the Bible that you may be holding in your hand right now. Uh, www.mormon.org says this. The Book of Mormon is the word of God like the Bible. It is holy scripture with form and content similar to that of the Bible. Both book contains God guidance as well as revealed to prophets. As well as religious histories of different civilizations. In other words, they say this is a holy book. They actually have four books that they deem holy. One is the Book of Mormon. One is Doctrine and Coverance, another is the Pearl of Great Price, and then the Bible that you're familiar with. Now of this, they say that we believe the Bible, the one that you're familiar with, is the Word of God as far as it is translated accurately, correctly, but they believe that it is translated inaccurately, incorrectly, a lot of the time. And therefore, you must defer to the Book of Mormon. You must defer to Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. They are the authoritative revelation of Jesus Christ for our times, the latter times. So it takes precedent, the Book of Mormon, over your Bible. Now, what this is about? Going on with the, uh, what it says at mormon.org, when the Bible is written, while the Bible is written, by and about the people in the land of Israel and surrounding areas and takes place from the creation of the world until shortly after the death of Christ, the Book of Mormon contains the history and God's dealing with the people who lived in the Americas between approximately 600 B.C. and 400 A.D. What they teach is that somewhere around 600 B.C., 600 years years before Christ, God led an exodus out of Jerusalem, and he led a group of people over into the western hemispheres that would later become the Americas. He established a whole other relationship and a whole other religious system, Christian religious system with them, revealing to them things that were not revealed because the original Bible was written about the Israelites and God's relationship with them. And so this became the Book of Mormon said, the prophecies in the Book of Mormon recorded God's dealings with his people, which were compiled by a prophet named Mormon onto gold plates. Joseph Smith obtained these ancient records in 1827, and with the gift and power of God, Joseph was able to translate the ancient writings into what we have today. In other words, Moroni Moroni appeared to him, presented him the plates. God gave him the ability to read what was then kind of a, a foreign Egyptian kind of language and translate it into English. Then after the whole process was done, then the angel Moroni took the plates back. And so there's no evidence of those plates today. Now, remember what the Bible says about this kind of thing. The Bible said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, But even if we, or even an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. This is exactly the kind of scenario that Paul was warning us about in his letter to the church at Galatia. Now, the Mormon church, as many of these other counterfeit Christian movements, appear to be the real thing. They they appear to be really Christian. Here's another excerpt off one of the pages, uh, of one of the Mormon websites. It says, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, the Father in flesh. He was creator, he is our Savior, and he will be our judge. Under the direction of our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ created the earth. Through his suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane and by giving his life on the cross, that is by performing the atonement, Jesus Christ saves us from our sins as we follow him. Through his resurrection, Jesus Christ saves us from physical death. Because he overcame death, we will all be given the gift of resurrection. Now, you might be looking around, you might come across their website, and you'd sit down and you'd go, well, my goodness, we believe, they believe exactly what I believe. That just goes right down the list, doesn't it? And see, that's why it's important to peel through the layers of the onion to find out what exactly they mean by all of these different expressions. Now, if you're a student of the Bible and and you're really well-grounded in Scripture already just reading that, you're going, wait a minute, and alarms and bells are going off as you look at it. If you are not as grounded, if you don't know as much about the Bible, you might look at that and say, well, my goodness, they really are a genuine Christian movement. All right, let's dig a little deeper, Why? Because we need to test the spirits, right? We need to peel the layers of the onion back. And again, we are not attacking the people who embrace this. We are talking about what the church teaches. What do they teach about God? Well, they teach that God is the supreme uh, being of the universe, but he's not always held that position. More accurately, what, what they would teach that impacts us is that God the Father that we think of is God of planet Earth. And in fact, at one time, he was just a man living on another planet. And he followed his religious system and his heavenly Father, who was the God of that planet, and ultimately was exalted because of his sincerity and of his faith and was given the status of a God over his own planet. And so God, our Father, has been given status on this planet to create spirit beings and physical beings and have this planet as his throne, as his rule. God has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man and is in the form of man, according to Joseph Smith Journals of Discourses, Volume 6, page 3. In other words, God is not a spirit. God is a physical entity and has flesh and bones and blood just like we do. Also, there's a mother God. Or maybe mother's God. They, they teach that, that this supreme being who has been given the honor of having their own planet and their own population to be God of has a spirit wife or has a wife, physical wife or wives. And they create spirit beings. In fact, all of us at one time were spirit beings. And we were giving now the opportunity to have a body of flesh in order to prove ourselves to this God, our Heavenly Father God, so that we can, in our eternal state, be blessed or not blessed. Now, we talk about here, life is preparation for eternity, carry this to a whole other degree within the Mormon church. And so, they have wives and they produce spirit beings that ultimately become human beings. So what do they believe about Jesus Christ? Now, this is the key, right, because all those things we talk about are Christ, because Christianity is about who? Say it again. I just want to see if you're still with me, all right? All right. Jesus and Satan, mind you, like the rest of us, were spirit brothers and sons of God before the spirit of Jesus was given a body in Mary in Bethlehem, by Mary in Bethlehem. So he was born a spirit being, just like we were, and he was honored and given the opportunity to have a physical body through the person of Mary. In fact, it says that they teach that Jesus and Satan, who were spirit brothers, competed for the right to have a fleshly body and be the redeemer of planet Earth because it was part of their exaltation process. In fact, they also teach that Jesus was the physical son of God the Father in Mary. In other words, God who exists in a tangible body of flesh and bones, had physical relationship with Mary and impregnate, impregnated her, which resulted in the bodily birth of Jesus. Now here 's the key: if that isn't enough, there is nothing in jesus life more than what is attainable by anyone else. It's not deity. Look what it says. Parley Pratt was another of, of, of the uh, renowned Mormon prophets. In, in uh, Keys to the Science of Theology that he wrote, he says this. Jesus' humanity is to be recognized as real and ordinary. Whatever happened to him may happen to any one of us. The divinity of all other noble and stately souls, insofar as they too have been influenced by a spark of deity, can also be recognized as manifestations of the divine. In other words, what happened to Jesus can happen to me, can happen to you, can happen to any male. We can be exalted into a position where we have been made a god of another planet. And we can have a celestial wife or celestial wives... And we can produce spirit children who will ultimately become uh, beings that live on that planet, and we will be their God. That can happen to any one of us. We all have that ability. So salvation, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is not sufficient. Now, they would say it's an essential part of salvation because it's believing in the sacrifice of Jesus, the atonement, that provides everyone a physical resurrection, but it doesn't take care of the sin issue. Forgiveness of sin is obtained through a cooperative effort with God. In other words, it's a works salvation. You have to believe in Jesus because that is how you earn the gift of a physical resurrection one day, but the sin issue isn't taken care of, that comes through a cooperative effort, that comes through works, that comes through proving yourself. And to do that, you must be good and follow the laws and ordinances of the Mormon church in order to to obtain forgiveness of sin. Again, the Mormon Church Articles of Faith, excerpts from Faith uh, 3 and 4. We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the law and ordinances of the gospel. In other words, work salvation. We believe that the first principles and ordinance of the gospel are, first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, That earns you the gift of physical resurrection. Number two, repentance, living a good life, Obeying what the Mormon church teaches you to do. Third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. You've got to be baptized to have your sins washed away. And fourth, by the laying on hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that happens in a temple uh, purification ceremony that happens only in the temple. And so all of this is required. It's a work salvation for the forgiveness of sin. Now that all, what you do and how you respond to all that, determines what your eternal existence is going to look like. They believe that there'll be some form of punishment, probably temporary, for the most wicked human beings who've lived out throughout history. But the rest will enter into one of three different eternal kingdoms that will be ushered in by Jesus Christ one day. On the lower level is the telestial kingdom. That's kind of an eternal existence for people who weren't very good. That's the atheists and the agnostics and the people who lived immoral lives and who were liars and cheaters and and all that kind of thing. They're going to live eternity on that level. Then there's the terrestrial kingdom. Those are people who were pretty good people. They were moral, they had integrity, they, they may have been spiritual, they may have been religious. They might even be Mormons who never really followed the ordinances of the church, never participated in the temple sacrifices, and they're going to exist in this level. That's a, it's a nice level, it's comfortable, no punishment, no pain. But the top is the celestial kingdom, and, and that is only obtained by a Mormon who has been true to the Mormon faith, who has conquered sin in this life experience, who has gone through the temple rituals, and who is a candidate for this exalted eternal experience, and from that pool, ultimately might be chosen to become a god, the man and his celestial wife, to, to, to have their own kingdom throughout eternity. That is what all of that means that we read a little bit ago. So why is it counterfeit? Well, it denies that there's only one true God. It's a polytheistic religion. There's gods all over the universe, and maybe you'll be one one day. Uh, it denies the true gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus and other things. Only Jesus' faith in Jesus only earns you a physical resurrection. It adds works to salvation. It's all about works. And what's the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It distorts the scriptural teachings of salvation, and it undermines the authority and the reliability of the Bible. So, we might ask, why do they have this amazing worldwide growth? Well, part of it's because of the external character of its adherents. Why we're not attacking the people, because let me tell you, a a true Mormon, a Mormon who is sold out to the Mormon doctrine, who is sold out to the Mormon church, I I guarantee you, they are living a righteous life that some of us only aspire to. They are good. They believe in their church. They believe in, in their understanding of God. They give tithes regularly. It's not even an option. That's part of it. They give service, and they're sold out. They're wonderful people. They have strong families. They have strong marriages. They're people who give it all for the Mormon church. Also, they, the church's aggressive evangelistic efforts, every 19-year-old male child has to go on a two-year evangelistic journey. Two years of the life, they give up, and they go out into all corners of the world spreading the Mormon doctrine and, and, and the Mormon version of salvation in God and Jesus Christ. Every... 19-year-old goes and does it. It's a big celebration when they go. It's a bigger celebration when they return home. And they are evangelizing to the tune of about 300,000 people a month. Their dynamic internal support. If you are an upstanding a Mormon in good stead with the Mormon church, and you fall upon hard times, this is a very wealthy church. Through businesses and investments and contributions of members, they'll take care of you. And so that's real attractive. The attractiveness of some of what we would call distorted theologies, this idea of celestial marriage. They believe that, that you can be married to who you love for the, all of eternity. In fact, that's one of the things that you go through in the temple. That's one of the rituals, celestial marriage. And you'll be married for all eternity. Now, I, I, I don't know. I guess if you have a good marriage, that's a blessing. If it's a bad one, maybe it's a form of hell. I don't know. <laughs> but anyhow, the idea behind it is that, that you produce spirit children And that they can become uh, children of flesh and they'll have their opportunity to prove to you their their devotion to to good living and and to godliness. And and you start your own cycle. You have your own population. You have your own spirit wife. And you continually will reproduce children throughout eternity. Uh, Baptism for the dead. See, they believe that for for departed loved ones and friends who, who didn't have a chance to become good Mormons, that they can be baptized by immersion for them. That's why they have one of the most extensive genealogical records on planet Earth. People can research their families and, and their neighbor's families, and they can actually be baptized for them to give that person maybe a higher level of one of those eternal kingdoms. Also, you can become a god. Hey, I can become a god too. I can have my own planet. You know, that's pretty heady stuff. And that's why so many people buy into it. But it's not genuine Christianity, it's a counterfeit Christianity, and yet people buy into it left and right, and again, one of the most fertile grounds, our church is just like our church, why? Because as we talked about, so many of us just go through the motions, and we don't study the word of God, we don't know why we believe what we, we believe, we don't know how to pass it on to our children, and our grandchildren, and our friends, and our neighbors, and so right-picking for these false groups. Now, another group that we want to talk about today, again, just to illustrate how it's important you've got to peel back the layers of this onion. Another group that you might sit down with or invite into your house some of their missionaries, and you, after a while you might go, well, this is great, and they believe what I believe. and this is, this is really a Christian group, and that's a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses, proclaimers of God's kingdom, and, and you, you see them. They're around, they're visiting, they're knocking on doors. They've probably knocked on your door, and they're very aggressive, and they're very zealous for their cause. Now, we're going to go through a little bit what we did, but we have an added opportunity this morning, and that is that we have a former Jehovah's Witness who is a member of our church, and I've invited her to come up and just share some of her story and firsthand to share with you what this movement is really about and why it is a counterfeit Christian movement. Would you welcome with me Michelle Leeds. (laughs) Hi, Michelle. Let's have a seat. I'm getting tired. <laughs> Michelle, there's so many things we can talk about. In the last service, we, we, we talked about a lot of things. But, but let's start with, with just this. Let's start with the idea of, tell us how you became involved with the Jehovah's Witness movement. And let's just start with what, how that characterized your lifestyle. And why don't you tell them about we Okay, we are t-
1: okay. Well, um, I was born into an Italian Roman Catholic family, the third of four children. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. And um, I was always an inquisitive child spiritually. And so they came and knocked on the door when I was eight years old. I had gone through my baptism as an infant. My confirmation was around that time, my first Holy Communion. I started asking my mother questions that she had no answers to. And so the knock came at the door because they were very fervent and proselytizing, and my mother let them in. And she, uh, Marion, her name was, she offered a home Bible study to my mother. Well, they call it a home Bible study, but it's really a bait-and-switch tactic. So this little book right here, The Truth That Leads to Eternal Life, is what was used to study with my mother and my sister and I in 1968. And um, then in 1972, we moved to Florida. So now we're away from all of our family. And that's, that's an important point because my family was vulnerable. We moved away from all of our relatives, my childhood friends, and now I was 13 years old. And being that I, I was always a person who was seeking after God and I wasn't getting answers from the Catholic Church... Um, and I was away from my family, I said, you know, I want to serve God. I I was that type of a young person. And so I embraced going to the Kingdom Hall at a young age. In the mid-1970s, in 1974, I said, I want to dedicate my life to Jehovah God. Little did I know it was an organization I was dedicating my life to. And I became baptized down in North Miami. And it definitely affected my life in some ways for the good, but in other ways detrimentally, like when I was in high school and the kids were studying for their SATs to prepare for college, that wasn't me because Armageddon was going to come and destroy the world in 1975. So I didn't have to take, I didn't take any academic courses in high school. They had a very low educational standard in Florida. I took like basic math. I took all art courses. When I graduated in 1976, Armageddon was a year late. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do now?
0: <laughs> and you, you, you mentioned that, that one of the, the things that, that the Jehovah's Witnesses do is they prey on the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. They, they look for the people who have just experienced grief or divorce or something like Absolutely. that. And, and, Absolutely. And then they, and I heard a term for the first time in the first service you told me about that really intrigued me. And tell us about it. You know what I'm going to say.
1: Okay, yes, yes. The term is called love bombing. And I really feel like that's basically what happened with my mother. My mother was not in a, a satisfying marriage she had four children to to take care of and if someone's going through a divorce a loss of a job the death of a loved one any major life transition they'll come and they'll present to you a wonderful scenario of living forever eternally young on paradise earth and and part of my my sermon when I would go to the doors I was op- I would open up my bible to um, second timothy three one through five and it talks about the last days and the wars and all the things we see happening and and people you can't argue with the bible is as true as the newspaper and and i would say well wouldn't you like to live forever on a paradise earth and they would be interested in that and then we would come back and call and start a bible book study with them it was really a bait and switch tactic
0: but this bible is not our bible this because what they did the, is they right. reinterpreted a Bible and wrote a Bible that addresses all the biblical challenges to what they p- profess, and they changed the verses. Is that
1: well, all of, many of the verses pertaining to the deity of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, and especially verses pertaining to working for your salvation, and even um, John seventeen three, where Jesus said that you know this is eternal life. Um, they put the term on knowing. The, the things you have to do to serve God, not that you are personally knowing Jesus. As a Jehovah's Witness, you are not allowed to pray to Jesus. The first time I actually prayed to Jesus in, personally, aside from my Catholicism, was in my car sometime in the spring of 1988. I, was, I had read the book Crisis of Conscience in 1984 that just destroyed my foundation of the Jehovah's Witnesses. But I didn't know Jesus after reading that book. And I started listening to Christian radio. And so one day in my car, I prayed a prayer and I asked Jehovah God's permission to speak with his son, Jesus, because Jehovah's Witnesses are not to pray to Jesus. He is a created being. They're taught he's Michael the Archangel. And I basically said in my car, Jehovah, I'm gonna speak with Jesus. I said, Jesus, if you want me to stay a Jehovah's Witness and you want me to be a member of the Watchtower Society, you have to make it really crystal clear to me. Well, shortly after I said that prayer, One of my coworkers, at the time I was a civil engineering draftsman, and I used to draw land surveys, and one of my coworkers came to me with a little tiny ad that the couple that's visiting today, Bill and Dawn Knott, placed in a newspaper in South Florida. It said, support room for former and questioning Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was under so much mind control and fear, it took me three months to call the phone number. And when I went to this group, Uh, in the Boca Raton area at the time I met born again Christians who had been Jehovah's Witnesses many of them for 50 years and I also met this couple and they were never Jehovah's Witnesses but they saw a need to help people because they go through a lot of trauma when they leave you you lose your family you lose your friends it's it's a a very heart-wrenching yeah, I,
0: I wanted to get to that because Peter warned us that, that many of these false teachers and these false groups are very controlling. They're very dictatorial. Yes. And, and, and that was your experience, wasn't it?
1: it? It was. When I was in high school, the only thing I participated, I asked one of the elders' permission is, I like art. I'm an, art, I'm an artist. And I said, you know, Brother... Um, whatever his name was, we addressed each other as brother and sister Leeds or Thompson Mm -hmm. or whatever. I said, I want to be in the art club. And they said, well, sister Leeds, as long as you do your door-to-door service on Saturdays and you make all the meetings, you can go to the art club. Mm -hmm. So it was like I felt like I had to ask permission. I even gave up a job in Long Island when I was a draftsman. I worked for Bendix Corporation. And two weeks after I got there, I found out I was in the military division. And I was drawing schematics for submarine equipment, radar equipment for the military. Do you know I left that job? And they, I, I had to leave a, vote, a job because I was working for the military branch of an electronics company. And
0: some may not know why that's a problem in Jehovah's Witness.
1: Because Jehovah's Witnesses are taught that since Christ's kingdom is not part of this world, Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to vote, and they're not allowed to participate in the military. So that actually did affect my life, personally.
0: And, and, and so there's prohibitions prohib- against a lot of things yes. in life that yes. we enjoy, like birthdays and...
1: I, didn't, I celebrated a birthday till I was 13, and then I didn't celebrate again till I was 30. And my husband, well, he, his mother became one when he was five, so we really, really rejoiced with him celebrating birthdays and Christmas while our children were growing up. It was wonderful.
0: Well, there's so many. It, it, this is fascinating, and, and trust me, we could sit here all day and really enjoy and learn so much about this. But we got to get down to why they're not a Christian organization. Okay, so let, let's talk about about. God, what do they believe about God?
1: Okay, well, they do not embrace the triunity of God. Jehovah is the Father. Jesus Christ is the created being, the created Son of God that Jehovah created, and they actually believe that in his pre-human existence he was Michael the archangel, which is similar with what the Mormons believe because that would mean that if Jesus is Michael and Michael's an angel and Satan was an angel, then they're really spirit brothers. So there's a lot of commonalities between mormonism and jehovah's witnesses in their early teachings
0: so the historic person jesus was really michael the archangel that's correct kind of possessing that body in that's correct that's correct and then after jesus was that mission was finished in that part of his life he became he now he exists still as michael the archangel he
1: goes back to being michael the archangel and also he did not have a bodily resurrection they believe that he was raised spiritually like his body vaporized into gases And that he did not have a bodily resurrection,
0: and and instead he just materialized in front of people to to kind of show, right? So he, so again, when we talk about real Christianity being a physical death and a physical resurrection, that right there, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that's That's not true. They, They don't believe in that. Okay, so so what's salvation then?
1: Salvation is basically you're a Jehovah's Witness in good standing doing all of their XYZ good works. And you are never you never have any assurance of your salvation. If you are working for 50 years and you decide, that's it, I'm done, you've lost your salvation. So you never, and that's what I want to say to all of the congregation, if you got a Jehovah's Witness at your door and you're not prepared to talk to them doctrinally, just share your testimony with them. Tell them you have assurance of your salvation because... When I was a Jehovah's Witness and I was going door to door and I occasionally meet very spirit-filled Christians up in Long Island, I would walk away thinking, Jehovah, how can Jehovah destroy that person? They really love God. They just understand him differently than me and that would make me feel bewildered. So show them love and give your testimony to them.
0: So what's eternity then? What is salvation? What's the game?
1: Salvation for a Jehovah's Witness is doing all the good works up until Armageddon. And then you're not even saved after that because they believe there's going to be a thousand-year reign on earth and that they believe Satan is going to be let loose again after a thousand years to tempt those Jehovah's Witnesses that have lived through the thousand years and then they have to pass that test again after the thousand-year reign of Christ. So you're constantly working with Jehovah's Witnesses. You're never assured your salvation. And most Jehovah's Witnesses are very depressed very full of a lot of phobias and anxiety. They're not happy people. I mean, like I used to joke that if I had to be in a cult, I would have rather been a Mormon because I could have gone to college when I was <laughs> in my teens. <laughs> I didn't go to college till I was pregnant with my son. I was 32 years old. But, you know, they're, both of them, they're like Kmart or Walmart. They're all about works. It's a counterfeit Christianity.
0: And the eternal state is, at the highest level, is the anointed.
1: The anointed 144,000, they take that number from Revelation. They are the only born-again believers that will reign in heaven. That's like the governmental area of reigning over earth. They live with Christ, and the great crowd is the secondary class that I was part of, would live forever on paradise earth. So it's a two-class salvation system, Mm -hmm. the great crowd and the anointed remnant.
0: And then for those who... who don't fall into either of those categories. You're dead. You're, You're out of the picture. You just cease You're to eternally exist.
1: non-existent. There's no hell, and that's another appealing factor, that there's no hellfire. And a lot of people don't like the idea of judgment and hellfire or eternal damnation, and so that is very appealing to people to want to join groups like Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: Well, again, there's so much we could talk about. And Michelle, thank you so much for being willing to share with us at your okay. experience and, and be candid with us. And, uh, You're welcome. We're, we're certainly thankful to the Lord that that you're one of us and that you have found Jesus Christ. I'm, and
1: I, I'm thankful every day when I'm singing these hymns and, and they were singing amazing grace that saved a retro, like it like makes me tear up. I, I get very emotional when I'm in worship because there's no praise and worship like that in the Kingdom Hall, I assure you. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
0: <laughs> and and you know, such an oppressive lifestyle that is. Michelle came to our church for years and years and years. And it wasn't until rather recently that she finally would join our church because she was so afraid of committing herself yet to another organization. And, and uh, she and Stella had a nice talk one time, and, 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 and Michelle said, you know, i, I got to get rid of my past, and i got to move forward. And, and she formally joined our church. And, and you can see the, the truth of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? Amen. Well, see, that's the real deal. And at first glance, at first blush, at first sitting, they're going to say, yeah, that's exactly what we believe. But when you start peeling back the layers of the onion, you find out that it's a totally different thing. First, uh, Jehovah's Witness, you talked about love bombing. They get you in a vulnerable place. They love you. They give you a lot of attention. They get you in. And then what Peter says is they will secretly introduce heresies that will keep you in bondage with no hope. And that's where people are living. That's why it's so important for us to be able to identify counterfeit Christianity. And it's important that we know what we know. And we know and we can prove and we can demonstrate to our children and our grandchildren, our friends and our our moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and all these folks. That's why we did this series. Because the world is filled with deadly deceptions. And you've got to ask yourself the question, Am I ready to peel back the layers of that onion? And Jesus said that it's only going to get worse. It's only going to become more persuasive as the time of Jesus' appearing returns. Let's bow our heads. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you still living in some counterfeit Christian or counterfeit religious understanding that somehow you got to work for it and you got to be a good enough person to get to heaven. Well, if you could be a good enough person to get to heaven, Jesus never needed to come. He didn't need to die in the flesh and be resurrected in the flesh because you could just do the best you could and see how you did at the end. But God loved you more than that, so he sent Jesus Christ, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Freedom is in faith in Jesus Christ. Freedom is not in ourselves. It's not in regulations. It's not in doctrine. It's not in theology. It's in the person of Jesus Christ who willingly died in the cross. And all you need to do to receive that gift, and it's exactly what it is, is put your faith in Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. And Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior today. I believe you died on the cross were buried on the third day rose again. And Jesus, I believe because you were worthy to die on the cross for sin and because you were willing to die on the cross for sin, God has given you authority alone to forgive sin. And Jesus, do that for me right now. Jesus, be my Savior. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. You know, the Bible says to any man or woman who does that in 1 John 5, 13, these things are right to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, I pray for the protection over this amazing congregation. My brothers and my sisters, and not in some spiritual sense and theological sense, but in a real sense, because we really are family here. And God, protect us from these persuasive and deadly deceptions that are coming our way that already are here and only are going to be magnified in their intensity and their frequency and in their persuasiveness. God, help us to to get a new hunger for your word so that we know what we believe and we can defend what we believe and we can teach what we believe to those that we love in this world and even to strangers who you'll allow our paths to cross. God, anoint this church with power. and Lord, help us to be a lighthouse of hope to those walking in darkness, to those who are captive to deceptions and may they experience Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Lord, may we be ambassadors of that freedom. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.